Good evening. Uh, please pause with me. Our Father, thank you. Thank you for the moment. Thank you for loving us so much that you sent your Son, Jesus Christ, to the cross. Now, Lord, as we have gathered here this evening, as always, humbled by the opportunity, we submit ourselves to you and ask that you will speak to us and through us, and then by your Holy Spirit activate us to respond in obedience to what it is you wish for each of us as individuals and to us as a body here corporate, so that you might be exalted and glorified in our lives and in our services. In Jesus' name, amen. My Jesus, I love thee. Powerful. Let me, as a point of uh, review, briefly, because some persons may not have been here, and I want to simply say this, that you and I are, as believers, as Christians, are slaves of Christ. Now, as I mentioned this morning, sometimes that creates or conjures up in people's mind a negative um, connotation. There's some stigma attached. I wish to allay those uh, impressions because that is not the intent of the references used in Scripture, but more so to show the relationship between us and Jesus Christ. And the slave imagery is a powerful tool to do just that. I'm reminded of a story I read once of a very rich man walking into a village, and his intentions were simply to purchase all of the homes or well, homes in that particular village. And so he went from house to house, spoke to the owner, and offered them a handsome amount of money. People sold their houses, their possessions, their land. And then he came to the center of the village and there was one poor gentleman um, who would not sell. The rich man offered him double what he was offering for other homes or villages uh, in terms of the huts or the homes um, of the similar size and yet this poor villagers refused to accept. I'm not selling. He says, well, name your price. He says, I have none. I'm not selling. He refused to sell. Of course, the rich man, disappointed as he was, walked away, left. A few days later, the rich man was walking through the village with some of his friends. Somehow the poor man heard about it, and so he came out to the front entrance of his hut, and he was listening because as they came along, the rich man was pointing out to his friends, you know, this year, you know, last week, you know, I purchased that, that's mine. And over here, that's mine. Well, the poor man walked up to the, you know, trailing the, his rich man's friends, and he called one of them, pulled them aside, 
He says, come here, come here. He says, um, is he telling you that, that he owned all of these um, houses here in the village? Obviously, the friend says, yes, he's very good. He isn't very successful, isn't he? He said, well, listen, don't, don't believe a word of it. See, where you're standing right now, this belongs to me. You know, so he doesn't own everything. So he's not telling you the truth. He went back to his door, but he's very feeling very proud of himself. Here's the point of moral, I think, of the story. I mentioned something this morning with respect to, to this. Who do you belong to? As I mentioned at the end of this morning, can God say very confidently that you belong to him? Do you know that there are some people who, without hesitation, will say that they do not belong to God? Well, what we read this morning in Romans chapter 6 was very clear. And chapter 5, as I speedily give you an overview of chapter 5, if the Lord is not your master, guess who is? In other words, guess who your power is? Your lineage. You either belong to God or you belong to Satan. Who is your master? Slave. And I mentioned this this morning and asked, when you think of slave, what comes to mind? Usually we go back to what we've been exposed to with the 18th and 19th century, which was very horrific um, experiences for those who lived through that era, especially those in the um, Americas, uh, North America, the colonial America, and the British Empire. That is not the image that is represented in Scripture. I read to you this morning, um, or at least I told you about some of the laws that were very specific as to how certainly the, the, the term or the concept of slavery was in existence all the way back in Genesis. It was almost a part of the routine. It's just like how you probably have um, today these different professions or subcultures within the, the economy or in the, the country or society. The same thing would have been for these slaves. And I mentioned that even the Israelites themselves um, could sell themselves to a fellow Israelite. And if, of course, um, a friend, a family member, more particularly, wanted to uh, redeem, pay for, pay back to get his freedom, they can do that. And so there were specific laws for that. It's so much so that if you were, and you remember I mentioned also this morning that you, the maximum was up to six years. In the seventh year, you had to let the Israelite free. But if you maybe, let's say, after three years, you know, your family said, look, I'm going to pay the difference, which you would have, and the master would agree, and then you pay that off, and that person would be called your redeemer. He redeemed you, take you back, and you compensate by paying for the remaining years of his tenure as a slave. But he was supposed to be treated as a servant in terms of how you treat your countrymen. I also mentioned this morning um, something with respect to the other person who may not be of your country. I just want to read quickly that in your presence. And uh, I want, to, if you have your Bibles, and I'm sure you do, uh, Exodus chapter 21. I, I just want to read the first nine verses quickly you know, um, so that you can see. And remember now, the context is this, that the children of Israel are now just 
left Egypt. God is giving them, you know, the guidelines of how they are to conduct themselves. And here, and he's not leaving anything out. Here are some directions, some ordinances for the people. Exodus chapter 21. Now these are the ordinances which you are to set before them. Verse 2. If you buy a Hebrew slave, pause again. Now, depending on what you're reading, I said this morning, the word in Hebrew for slave is ebed. King James Version did not do justice to the word in its translation. So you might see a softer version of that called servant or something else along the servant line. Slaves seem to be more forceful. But when we hear today, now contemporary thinking. We are thinking back 18th century. I want you, if you can, think back um, the Greco-Roman era prior to even Christ's scheme, because Jesus Christ himself used it many times. And I want to probably, as I come to the end, um, uh, refer that to you with respect to the good and faithful slave. Verse 2 again. If you buy a Hebrew slave, he shall serve for six years, but on the seventh he shall go out as a free man without payment. If he comes alone, he shall go out alone. If he aids the husband of a wife, then his wife shall go out with him. If his master gives him a wife, and she bears him sons or daughters, and the wife and her children shall belong to her master, and he shall go out alone. But if the slave plainly says, I love my master, I love my Jesus, I love you. But if the slave plainly says, I love my master, my wife and my children, I will not go out as a free man. Then his master shall bring him to God. Then he shall bring him to the door of the doorpost, and his master shall pierce his ear with an awl, and he shall serve him permanently. And if a man sells his daughter as a female slave, she is not to go free as the male slaves do. If she is displeasing in the eye of her master, who designated her for himself, then he shall let her be redeemed. He does not have authority to sell her to a foreign people because of his unfairness to her. Verse 9. And if he designates her for his son, he shall deal with her according to the custom of daughters. In other words, treat her like your daughter. I mentioned this morning, and in the, based on the time constraints, that slaves really had no autonomy. But sometimes this concept of slavery, I think, is sometimes difficult to grasp, especially in our 
way of thinking today. Sometimes the weight and complexity of a truth is best understood by using illustrations. And I think the Bible has a preponderance of, of usage of this, since I mentioned also that more than any other designations in the scriptures, in terms of our relationship with God, that of a slave is by far the most prolific. But what does it mean to be a slave? Let me just briefly say some things about the slave. The slave has no independent status. In other words, the slave is totally dependent on the master. The slave has no specific duties. A servant could choose. I ain't doing that. Well, you may get fired, depending on the context. But you can choose. You still have some degree of choice, right, autonomy, but not the slave. The slave was deemed to be property, chattels of their master, and bound to obey his will without hesitation or argument. In Roman law, there was no distinction between the person and his labor. They were sold the same way, governed by the same rules as you were if you were selling land, animal, or some tools. You were totally at the discretion of the master. I asked this morning, and most of the persons present indicated by their expression on their face, how many of you have seen the movie Roots? Uh-huh. Um, Alex Haley. And I think in some places it was played over and over at certain points in a cycle, <laughs> you know, for another reason. But when you remember that story, and think back about this particular star in the movie, um, Kunta Kinte, in his village, with his family. As he grew up and he's going into manhood, he was warned that, hey, there are rumors that there are some people out there. Be careful, you know, because they are capturing you. So be careful. Well, as those of you who saw the movie would know that Kunta Kinte went out to catch chicken, must have been a fowler, but went out to catch birds, and instead some other people of similar pigmentation were in the group who were looking for people like him to give to people of a different hue. Simply put, he was caught. He ran, ran well, but he did not succeed. He was outgunned on the legs. Caught, herded together, stacked up near the shores, eventually put on a ship, tight stacked, came up, let's say once a week, so that they can wash them off. It was horrible. Taken to a different land. This is this kind of slavery we are more familiar with. And come to think, let me finish this. We are more familiar with. He was taken to a foreign land, U.S. of A. Think about what that must mean for him. 
think immediately psychologically what that means. First of all, he is rudely, violently taken away from his family, from his culture, forcibly taken away, strapped, tied up, doesn't understand the language, taken to a foreign place, culture shock, different things that he's never seen before or experienced. And then he's been given a new name. Remember in this story, they said, your name is Toby. He said, my name is Kunta Kinte. He said, no, your name is Toby. Kunta Kinte. So that if, and because he insists we're going to beat this into you, and they tied him to a pole and had him whipped until he was almost unconscious. And he was still saying, my name is Kunta Kinte. After a while, because of the continuous beating and hardship, they asked him, what is your name? And of course, for impact and effect, he paused and he said, Toby. So they, the slave was given a new name. He had to learn a new language as well. New place. He now have new relationships. Oh, he had to learn how to forge new relationships because there are people there who were not a part of his home village. That's a slave. I want you to hold that thought in your left, no, right brain, while you think in your left brain, hold and this are the spiritual one that I want to apply to that. When you and I place faith in Jesus Christ, when Jesus Christ, and we mentioned it this morning, that while we were yet sinners, you remember in Toby's case, as I said, that's what he eventually ended up calling, agreeing to acknowledge or respond to. Kunta Kente was on a platform, and people were asking, they said, check him out. He's young, strong. You can get much mileage out of him, much work. And people would bid for him. You and I, who were under the master, taskmaster, harsh taskmaster of sin, Satan, if you please, were redeemed by Christ who stood up and says, I want him. I will pay the price. I will die for him and for her. Take us away. Now, if he paid the price, and what a price it was, we now belong to him as his slaves. Now, I, I've been thinking about this. That's, that's a marvelous thing for me, because if I had to choose who I want to be my master, and even though we, especially some of us, we think as Bahamians, we are too proud. I ain't nobody, be, I ain't nobody slave, as I mentioned this morning. And because, again, we can draw in our mind that 18th, 19th century image of a slave. But when you talk about the master, because your, your, how you were treated was also dependent on your master, because you had some good masters, if you can say in the context of the 18th and 19th century, you have some good masters 
who were very good to their slaves, but you had also the other extreme. So, but when you think about Jesus being our master, there should be no hesitation as for us wanting to be his slaves. And the Bible has a preponderance of examples of references calling us slaves. I remind you again that in the Hebrew, as well as in the Greek, script, Greek scriptures, the word slave is what it, 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 the word slave is not referenced in generally most of our English uh, translations of the Bible, particularly uh, the King James Version. Interestingly, I mentioned this morning about Sanctus, the um, Gaelic Christian, who was martyred, tortured in a horrific way. Um, and that happened in 177 AD. And this year, in the Bahamas, we celebrate 177 years of emancipation. Coincidentally, you know, I, I just thought about that this afternoon. 177 years. So August 1st, what is it that they celebrate? Emancipation or freedom from what? Slavery? Who now are collectively as a country, we say we are a Christian nation. But who is a really our master? If somebody paid the price, and of course you know like in the British uh, Empire, that was done, as I think I mentioned this morning, by an act of parliament. But in the United States of the Americas, it was done by the Civil War, so that you can have the what we now refer to as emancipation of slavery. But there are some wonderful biblical characters, and some of them you would call your favorite characters in Scripture, who are in God's Hall of Fame of slavery. These persons were called slaves. Abraham, and for the sake of time, I'll just give you a reference in case you want to check it out yourself. Abraham, in Psalms 105, verse 42, Abraham is referred to as God's slave. That's amazing. Moses was also referred to as God's slave in 2 Kings chapter 18, verse 12. Abraham, slave of God. Moses, slave of God. Joshua, in Judges chapter 2, verse 8, is referred to as a slave of God. Jacob is referred to in Isaiah 48, verse 20, as a slave of God. David himself in Psalm 89, verse 3, a slave of God. Elijah, 1 Kings chapter 18, verse 36, he too is referred to as a slave of God. And the prophets, Ezekiel, Ezekiel chapter 38 and verse 17, mentioned in a general way that these have you, in other words, these were my slaves. But that's some of the Old Testament Hall of Famers. You know Paul, who wrote more than 50% of the New Testament, as we have it today. Paul says in Romans chapter 1, verse 1, Paul says, and his opening is very common, opening Paul, a slave 
of Jesus Christ, called as an apostle. Paul, a slave of Jesus Christ, called as an apostle. That's in Romans chapter 1, verse 1. In 1 Corinthians chapter 7, verse 22. For he who was called in the Lord, whilst a slave, is the Lord's freedman. Likewise, he who was called while free is Christ's slave. You can't miss it. He's very direct, very pointed. Ephesians chapter 6, verse 6 says in part, not by way of eye witness or eye service as man pleases, but as slaves of Christ, doing the will of God from the heart. Philippians chapter 1, verse 1. Paul again. Paul and Timothy, slaves of Christ Jesus. Epaphras in Colossians 4.12, who is one of your number. He is a slave of Jesus Christ. Second Peter chapter 1, verse 1. Simon Peter, a slave and an apostle of Jesus Christ. James, let's see what James had to say in chapter 1, verse 1. James, a slave of God and the Lord Jesus Christ. And then we talk about that dude named Jude, chapter 1, verse 1. Jude says, Jude, a slave of Jesus Christ and a brother of James. Revelation John 1.1, the revelation of Jesus Christ, which God gave him to show to his slaves the things which must shortly take place. My brothers and sisters, even if you were blind, you couldn't miss the intention here of all of these persons being referred to by that Hebrew word ibed and the Greek word doulos, which is very specific, slave. There's about seven other words in Greek that reference to servant, and none of them is doulos. And the ones, the reference that I'm talking about is specifically doulos. And so again, it's important that we understand that, and when we are studying to understand what it is that God is originally trying to say to us. And I think the force and the... the magnitude of us in terms of the relationship that Scripture is wanting us to, to be mindful of would have been missed if you were reading some, some of the other versions. So it's important for us to be diligent in our studies. This morning, I read without any commentary basically what from Romans chapter 6, verse 14 to 23. I want to summarize this again in the sake of time here. And basically talks about what you were before as a slave when you had sin as your master. And then what you are after you have been redeemed or emancipated, liberated by Jesus Christ. And let's, let me go down the list here as I, I listed them from Romans chapter 6 verses 14 through 23. Before, and I'm talking to us as if all of us here are Believers, Christians, in other words, slaves of Jesus Christ. Before, now, sin was your master. You were under the law. You obeyed your master, sin, which resulted in death. 
You presented your members as slaves to impurity and lawlessness, resulting in further lawlessness. You were emancipated in regard to righteousness. You were free not to respond to righteousness, in other words. You had no shame for the impurity and lawlessness which resulted in death. And then verse 23, the wages you got, the wages of sin is death. That's when sin was your master. We should not then act as if sin is still our master. And thank you again for that uh, song there. There are several lines repeated there, uh, Brother Anton, that talks about um, I no longer live, but Christ lives in me. That's a, that's a wonderful and powerful truth. But now that Christ is our master from Romans chapter 6, 14 to 23, just a summary here, sin is not your master, Jesus Christ is. That's good news. You are not under the law, you are under grace. Shall we sin because we are not under the law? No way. God forbid. You obeyed your master, Jesus Christ, resulting in righteousness. You were, past tense, you were slaves of sin. You became obedient from the heart. You have been freed. You have been liberated, emancipated from sin. That's good news. That therapist couldn't say that. You became slaves of righteousness. Slave of righteousness. Don't lose the connotation. Present your members now as slaves of righteousness, resulting in sanctification, a set of partners, holiness, holy living. You are ashamed of impurity and lawlessness. That's your new position. I am now ashamed of the things. I used to do what I used to be when I had another master called sin. You are enslaved now to God, resulting in the benefit. And what is that benefit? Sanctification and eternal life. I like this master. There are some things that accrue to me that I couldn't enjoy when I had the other master. And finally, the gift of God. I have that now attributed to me because I have a new master. The gift of God resulting in eternal life in Jesus Christ our Lord. And I mentioned this morning, Lord. Lord suggests that he is our master. And so every time you use that word Lord, you will be thinking or responding from a position of slave. Being born into slavery. The reference I read from Exodus a moment ago, it is possible for, and I suppose the same would have been very, very true as well in the movie um, Roots. The master could have a slave, the slave he allowed him to commingle and have children and families, but all of their offsprings were owned by the master. You, they didn't have no rights. So if the master wanted to sell your son to another or send them off, they had absolute power 
autonomy to do so. Then here's what boggles my thinking here. When we, in terms of our relationship with Jesus Christ, how come we made use the word, and I said this morning, Christian, which is only three times mentioned in the entire scripture, and we have this huge preponderance, made more, almost 800 in the Old Testament and about 120 specifically, 24 in the New Testament. So when you combine both and you add the verbs to it, you have more than a thousand references to us. And no other one designation in the entire scripture um, comes even close to this concept of us and our relationship with Jesus Christ. Yet we tend to not respond to Jesus Christ as if he is our absolute master. We don't think ourselves to be slaves. Though we were born as slaves of sin, having inherited an enslaved state from Adam, <laughs> I, I was thinking, Brother Anton, when you said that the doctor found it fascinating that how can this one man um, die and that has the power to, to have the effect on so many people. And, and I will have to think back to wow, why that baffles him. I'd ask him what's his name, you know, and I'm not sure what their cultural norms are in detail at the moment. But um, I guess he's having his father's name, some, and his other father, and as far back as he can recall, I'd like to ask him, is it possible, you know, that you have your whatever father he can recall going backwards, that father's grand, great-grand DNA to some extent, and he said, I think from science, he said, yeah. I said, well, and if you were the only person here, is it possible that all of these people in the room are connected to you? And I can say, and I'm trying to draw the connection that one man's sin, and it affects all of these, because one man, there's the second Adam who died and has the same, even more so, Scripture says, the power to, to um, bring relief, in this case, to redeem. We were born... In sin, having inherited from our forefather Adam, we were purchased by Jesus Christ through his death. First Peter, chapter 1, verse 18 and verse 18 and 19 says, Knowing that you were not redeemed with perishable things like silver or gold from your futile way of life, inherited from your forefathers, but with precious blood as of a lamb unblemished and spotless, the blood of Christ. My brothers and sisters, we have been paid for, paid in full, and what a price. We belong exclusively to him. I mentioned this morning, Israel had this tendency of doing right, accepting their status as being slaves, and then running back to have under another master, being mistreated, and then come back, going, coming back, back and forth. Today, we may not, it may not be as obvious but I think sometimes in the way our conduct and our life, I think we do a similar thing from time to time. We have been bought with a price, the very precious blood of Jesus Christ. We were bought with a price. In 1 Corinthians chapter 7, verse 23, says, You were bought with a price. Do not become slaves of men. And according to Mark chapter 12, we are to love the Lord our God, with all of our heart, with all of our soul, with all of our minds, 
with all of our strength. That sounds total hey. God wants exclusive rights to us. Our devotion exclusively belong to him. Matthew chapter 6, verse 24 says, No one can serve two masters. These are actually Jesus' words. For either he will hate one and love the other, or he will hold on to one and despise the other. He repeats it. You cannot serve God and mammon. Here's a question as I quickly wrap up this evening. Do you ever write your name on anything? And if so, why? You remember when you were in school, and go back to familiar ground. You ever wrote your name on your book? Yeah? What for? Why? And some of you who couldn't write it, you know, somebody else who was related to you wrote it for you. But what was the purpose of that? Would you agree with me that the reason that was done was so that you, as well as anybody else who might happen to see, will know that that, whatever that book was, belongs to you? Agreed? Sometimes, these people who are writing on other people's wall, (laughs) that's another story altogether. Stay tuned for that tomorrow night, same time, same place. But generally speaking, when you wrote your name on something, you are saying, that's mine. That is indication of ownership. When you get an official document, they say it's not even valid until you put Henry on it. Oh, Henry, John Henry. You had to sign it. Then it becomes authentic. It is now good tender. But we've been writing our names on things to say that simple thing. This belongs to me. i get good news for you. Do you think God can write his name on us? Let me look at this one. Revelation. Listen to Revelations chapter 22. Last book in the New Testament. Last chapter in the New Testament. 22 verses 2, 3, and 4. And there shall... No longer be any curse. This is future. And the throne of God and the Lamb shall be in it. And his slaves, slaves, shall serve him. And they shall see his face. And his name shall be on their forehead. Wow. And his name shall be on their forehead. I wonder who wrote it. This speaks to me about complete and absolute ownership. God knows that he has complete and absolute ownership of his slaves. The challenge is, some of the slaves don't know or won't give their master complete devotion, absolute devotion. You exist only to please the master. That's asking too much. 
Not when you consider the other master that you had before. As I asked this morning, is Jesus worthy to be your master? Let's reverse that this evening. Are you a good and a faithful slave? I can't answer that for you. I need to answer that for myself. I have to think about everything I do, my life as a whole, how am I reflecting the master's will? Because everything that I have, my life, as Paul says, and I quoted this morning in Philippians 1.21, for, for me to live is Christ. I only live for Christ. Everything I say and do, and all things give thanks to God. Everything I do, do it as unto the Lord. So my entire life is revolved and obsessed with pleasing him because he is my master. And the good thing about this is that as a slave and, and the imagery of the slave, the slave didn't have to worry about where he was going to sleep, you know. The master, he took care of that. The slave didn't have to worry about where he was going, what he was going to eat. Even though in some of those, again, from our contemporary reference point, we see some harsh things, but that was already taken care of by the master. Again, the question that we must ask, are we good and faithful slaves? And you know the story. The master will be coming back. Like the parable Jesus tells, or is told about the slaves and the talents, and he went away. Gave one five, gave another two, gave a third one. It went away. But while he was away, the one that had five talents invested it, got five more. The one that had two invested it, 100% return. The one that had one dug a hole, hit it in the ground. After a while, a long while, the master returned. And of course, this is now accounting, reckoning time, and so we call the Slaves to himself, again, they came. The one that had five now have ten says, Master, um, I took the five you gave me, and now I have five more. The master's very pleased. He says, well done, thou good and faithful slave. You know, you know, enter into the joy of your Lord. You were faithful over a few things, and I will make you, uh, in other words, I'm going to give you even more. The same thing happened with the one who had two. He said those same words again. Well done, thou good and faithful slave. Welcome into the joys of your Lord. Lord, master. Then came slave number three. He had some comments to make. He says, master, I know you. You are a hard man. You know, and so I wasn't taking no chance with your money, your stuff. So you know what? I didn't use the talent you gave me. I dug a hole and hit it. And now that you're here, I go and dig it up. Here it is. Because I know you to be hard. You just reap where you ain't plant. You know, that's who you is. Well, the master said to him, you you good for nothing, lazy, whatless. You get away from here. You know, 
But you, then he says, now, but leave that talent. And the one that you had, take that from him and give it to the one that had ten. The story is very, the, the point is very clear. We who are here as his slaves, we have a task. We are on assignment. Remember, slave, I used several references this morning. Slave, let's say S, we are called saints. L, we are supposed to be living sacrifice. A, we are ambassadors. We represent another country. So when you talk about us, who begin when we become his slaves, don't we, don't we have to learn a new language? Yes. You know, we have a different worldview. Yes. Our names have been changed. But that's the amazing thing about it. We are now, uh, as an emissary, um, an envoy, because we come representing another country. S-L-A-V. V. What was V? We are virgins. Pure virgins. Exclusive. Set aside just for him. And E, we are the elect. Slave. The elect. God has chosen us. That is such an amazing thing for me. You know. I, and I use it often in a way that fits the audience. And in a school context, those students who I have to deal with who come because maybe their self-esteem has been crushed because somebody called them big eye or picky head or some other designation and they have no, like everybody's against them. I have to find a greater way to tell them, but there's somebody you're missing. Let me tell you a little bit about this person. I'll pretend if I need to to get on the phone and call somebody who they think is important. I said, wait a minute, in the middle of the conversation, there is another person. John 3.16, but God so loved you. And then try to have them think, see the truth of that in another way. You and I are his slaves, and when we leave this place and we go out into the world, we are to remember whose we are and to represent him well, because he will come again. And when he comes, I would love for each of us to have that personal experience to hear from him, well done, thou good and faithful slave, because he has written his name on our hearts and will be on our foreheads. You remember now we have already had a deposit that we belong to him because the Holy Spirit has been given to us. And so we are somebody else's property, not slaves of sin or the devil. So don't act like it. Remember, to do so is showing grave disrespect for Jesus Christ, who is indeed our Lord and our Master. Are you, am I, a good and faithful slave? It is my prayer that we would think, not only think about this, but examine that for how it applies to our lives, but to be very conscious from moment by moment, because we represent the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords. Let us pray. Our Father, thank you again for these moments as we, and we are so intrigued of the power of your word. And we have access to it um, when we think of those who do not. Lord, we are humbled. And there's a sense of um, regret on our part that we do not look into it as often as we should, or even to look as deeply as we should. And yet, Lord, you stand, you wait, you show us mercy. Lord, we pray that as a moment of, from this moment, we rededicate ourselves to you with a new perspective, 
that we are indeed your slaves while you are away and you will come for us again very soon. We belong to you. We have been purchased. We are your sole possession. May we live in such a way that the world will have no doubt of whose we are. These things, Father, we ask in Jesus' name. Amen.